Usually the challenge on Sunday morning is to come before you and find that the lectern is too low. Today it's, it's definitely up here. I'm very happy to be with you. I was sitting and thinking a moment ago about the nature of worship and what it's like when we gather together as brothers and sisters uh, and reflecting on different kinds of worship services that I've been in. Some that were very, very lively, upbeat. Uh, some that were very, very uh, sedate. I think the important thing that we need to remember when we gather together as the family of God is um, that we're here to focus on the Lord and not to focus only on ourselves. And I think that can be done with a spirit of joy and excitement. Uh, a spirit of uh, uh, reflection. Uh, it can be done in a, a spirit of, uh, of uh, deep solitude. But it's, it's, a, it's an important thing that we just grasp that we are a family made up of people with many different backgrounds. Last week we looked at Philippians chapter 1 and uh, we talked about uh, the situation uh, be behind that particular letter that Paul wrote and the fact that Paul was in prison even as he wrote the letter. And it talked to, and we, we looked at how he had um, managed somehow in his character and personality in the midst of personal struggles and trials to focus his heart on the needs of others as he wrote the letter to that particular church, the Philippian church in Philippi there. As well as the fact that he wrote letters to multiple other churches and uh, how he had that kind of a wonderful ministry heart is still a bit beyond me at times. We also talked about uh, the, the nature of the description of being a, a servant and having the humility uh, of recognizing that that is what we are to be as well. Uh, we're to be people who have an attitude not that we are the most important uh, in every experience, but that indeed we are to be a servant of the Lord. And uh, that does require us to function it with a kind of humility that quite often is not found in the world in which we live. And so as we think today about the, uh, the letter that was written in its four different pages or chapters, uh, I want us to uh, just continue to, to have an understanding that this was not intended as a book, it was not written to a massive, huge number of people, but it was written to a church, and it was written as a letter. A number of years ago, in the United States, I remember seeing a billboard that said, Jesus is the answer. Then I drove further, and I saw another one that said, Jesus is the answer. And I remember it became a movement around North America. You'd see these big billboards. Or you'd see bumper stickers that would say, Jesus is the answer. Well, the natural response of both Christian and non-Christian when they would see that was to ask the question, so he's the answer to what? What's that implying? And um, I, I remember getting in that discussion with different Christian friends of mine uh, about what all it really implied. But I think if we look today in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we can kind of get an idea of what this is all about. Because in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we see an attitude 
where Paul is writing to a church. And he's saying to them, as he would say to us, and as we need to allow the Scripture to speak to us, if Christ has really done a lot for you, if you've been encouraged, if you've been comforted, if you've been able to find fellowship because of your relationship with Christ, if you've found tenderness and compassion, if some of those things have happened in your life, you need to find a sense of joy and unity in serving. In other words, the challenge in those Scriptures is to say, look at what Christ has already done for you. At the same time, when I read that particular Scripture in verses 1 and 2, I can't help but wonder if that means that it's obvious that in the lives of many people, encouragement, compassion, comfort, tenderness, fellowship is lacking. And so the Scripture says, if Christ is providing for you in an area that you've not had provided for in previous experiences, then work together. Come together and realize that you have an opportunity in your walk with Christ to be different than the world around you. To be different than our society. To make a difference with your life. I would say to you and I would say to me, that is what Christ is calling for us to do as well. It's such a temptation just to allow our society to tell us how we are to act, what we are to value, and what we are to do to be classified as successful. When in fact, the Scripture challenges us in many areas to be quite different than that. I remember reading a number of years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called in, God in the Dock, D-O-C-K. But it's a, a series of lectures. And some of his lectures deal with culture and how culture impacts people and how we need to impact culture. There's another book that was written by a guy named uh, Richard Niebuhr back a number of years ago. And his book was called Christ and Culture. And he challenges different views toward culture. He says, well, Christ is either above you or he's integrated within the culture. Or, or maybe the culture is, needs to be transformed by Christ. He challenges different views of what is our relationship to the society in which we live. And I think that's a question that we daily have to struggle with. And Paul was challenging the Philippians church at that point to say, I care about you. I understand you. I was your church planter. I know you only have less than 10 years of history in your existence, but I care about you even to this day. Unity was his goal and what he challenged them uh, to, to do with their lives. He started by describing in verses 3 and 4 the issue of humility and what it was. And then he goes on through the, about all the way throughout verse 11 or so, talking about what it is to be a humble servant. You know, what motivates us in our lives to make this decision or that decision um, is, is always very important. For me, motivation uh, helps me to, to be challenged, to either give effort to something or not gives effort to something. For a time, it's possible, for, if we have selfish ambition, to conceal it. But if you actually watch long enough, even our concealed ambition will come out and people will realize 
This is an unhealthy ambition that that particular person has toward a particular thing. In verse 3, it gives God's desire for us. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. It goes through, and basically as we look through this, the comparison is between being selfless or selfish. Now, selfish... It's natural, it's normal, it's what we all tend to do. It's how we view the world, and that's through our eyes. We define what is good, we define what is bad, we define what is right, we define what is wrong. We define many things, but selfless demands a different attitude and definition. Others are to be more important than ourselves. You know, I remember, for those of us who... Uh, were born a number of years ago. We used to watch this little program on television, and it was on television at that time, called Star Trek. And we learned very, very important lessons through that, which is that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. In truth, that is something we have to consider. And that is what Paul is saying. The needs of the many outweigh your selfish needs. To become selfless is to realize that your daily witness is impacting others. How you act, who you are, what you do. Now, that doesn't mean false witness. That doesn't mean false humility. You know, uh, living in Asia for many years, uh, I learned very, very much how to be polite in certain environments. And in fact, you would look as if you were really, really, oh, yes, yes, oh, yes, yes. And in all reality, every time you went, yes, yes, you were really thinking, but I'm better than you and I know what I'm doing. I really know what I'm doing. It's no problem. But I'm acting like I think you're smarter than me. It happens a lot. It's very easy to present a false witness. Paul is calling the church that he started in Philippi to reflect in who they are. Reflect in their relationship with Christ and remember that they are just servants. For you and I the same. Who in this room is greater than another? We're all sinners because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not news to us in theory, but do we live it? in our practice and how we treat people and how we treat ourselves. Humility, as we look through this part of the Scripture, also goes on. And it talks about Christ as a sacrificial servant. And it talks about Paul's understanding of sacrifice. And of course, we know in Romans 12, 1 and 2, the challenges for us to understand what it is to be a sacrifice. But as we look at this scripture in verse 4, it's that the Christian is to understand the needs of others and to place those in a high position of concern. It means that it isn't just to be left in a theoretical level as we work and we sacrifice our needs, our wishes, as we become selfless. A number of years ago, uh, after I moved, I remember one day I was, uh, this was in 19, well, I better not give the dates because then I just, date myself forever, but a long time ago, I had an opportunity to go from Hong Kong into southern China to a place called Wuzhou. 
I was one of the very first people that were, was able to enter back when China was just beginning to open the door and allow people into China. And I went to Wuzhou and, and uh, traveled around and I visited a hospital here and met some different people there and had just a very wonderful trip. But I discovered while I was traveling that I was traveling in the places I was not officially allowed to go to. They still had open cities and closed cities and Wuzhou was closed. But because I could speak enough Chinese, and I don't say good Chinese, I said enough, I was able to get around and go where I needed to go and do what I needed to do. Well, I got back to Hong Kong, was talking with one of the older missionaries that I knew had lived in Wuzhou at an earlier time. And she was so envious of me. She said, you mean I can go now? And I said, actually, no. And I said, because I wasn't supposed to be there either. I didn't find that out until after I had already arrived. The story is long, but the point is, while I was there... I got to visit a particular hospital where a Dr. Bill Wallace had served. Bill Wallace was an an International Mission Board missionary that served in China until 1951. Bill was supposed to have left, along with most of the other missionaries, about four years earlier. But he didn't. He determined that he was going to stay and continue to handle his ministry. In those days... The missionary approach was always to have a medical person, not always, but in this particular kind of ministry, they they would have medical personnel working alongside evangelistic personnel. So his job was to be the medical doctor, which he was, and and there was another man by the name of Rex Ray who was the evangelist. And they worked as a team because always... The, the, the goal in missions is to do more than just medical or more than just education or more than just many things. The goal is to give people an opportunity to know Christ. And so the, this team had worked and been very, very effective. But at a certain point, the International Mission Board told all the missionaries it was time for them to pack out and leave because the communists had come in and were giving too much of a challenge to things. And so most of the missionaries left. But Bill said, God has placed me here. I must remain. And so he stayed there and in 1951, after going through multiple trials that they had placed him, and I'm talking about legal trials, they had challenged him, the communist government at that point, pushing him, saying that he had remained as a spy and done different things, to the point that they put him in prison and he died in prison in 1951. Bill's commitment has been a commitment that has challenged many people over the years to missions because his heart was that of a sacrificial heart. His heart existed only to give himself to the Lord's service. He was willing to do whatever it takes if it left a positive witness. When I visited in 1979, now I'll go ahead and say when it was, I went to the hospital and was walking around the grounds and and bumped into a man that had known Bill Wallace. And he had told me the same thing that I'd heard previously, and that is when Bill was put on trial, the problem and the frustration for the government was that they could not find anyone who would criticize Bill Wallace and his ministry. All they could find were people who would say, this man loved Jesus and loved us. I want to be that kind of a sacrificial person with my life. And I know you do too. 
We have to pray that God will challenge us and give us the strength to be burdened for our society, be burdened for our world. And Paul was writing to that church and he said, I want you to be that kind of a sacrificial person. He goes on and he's talking about humility again in those verses. In verses 9 to 11, uh, Paul reminds the Philippians that our life's focus is to the glory of God. We must view our successes with Christ in mind. When our sons and daughters are choosing between sports, piano lessons, career choices, dating partners, schools to attend, or whatever, it has to be our responsibility as parents to ask the question, does the decision you make glorify God? That's what Paul was asking of them. Is everything you're doing glorifying God? When you want to know if something is right or wrong, good or bad, the best or just average, ask yourself, does it glorify God? I can't tell you the number of people I've known over the years that have told me that they struggled because their 14-year-old decided that they didn't want to go to church anymore. And so they decided, rather than have a conflict at home, they would just simply let the child no longer go. Now, in my particular case, that was never an alternative. I don't know what I would have gotten from my mother, but I know the answer would not have been, it's no problem. And I know in the case of our children, our three sons grew up from the time they were very young, sitting and drawing pictures, even when in this kind of a congregation, in this kind of a service. They would be sitting in the, in the aisle at age five, sitting there. They understood probably 5%, 10% of what the preacher was saying, and they listened to even less. That would just happen to go in their ear. But gradually they grew and they matured and they began to pay more and more attention. And sometimes we would be on our way home and they would say, yeah, you said this today, Dad. I didn't really get that. Or I heard this from the preacher. I didn't fully understand that. What did that mean? And I had no idea he was even listening. That five-year-old, that eight-year-old, that twelve-year-old, God was working in their hearts. But we were asking the question of our children, what gives God the glory? My kids understood from the earliest time that Sunday was not about what I get out of church I go to church to meet God. I go to church to learn about His values, His morals, what He wants from me and what He wants to do with me. I don't go to church just because there's a famous preacher up front or the music is the best in the entire world. I go there expecting that I'm going to meet God and know more about Him and I want to be His servant. Paul said, that's the kind of heart that I've tried to plant in you. Church at Philippi, I planted you because I love you. And I'm writing this letter to remind you, hang in there. Remain humble. Keep your focus. Live out your salvation, verses 12 to 14. He goes on and he talks about what it is to be one who allows salvation to be their value system, their basic identity. 
Think of others before you think of yourself. <coughs> As he goes on and he shares about his, his understanding of salvation, uh, he says that we're to work it out daily in verses 12 and 13. Now, when it says to work out your salvation daily, it doesn't mean to find salvation or to use your effort to attain it. Indeed, if you remember and I remember... Paul, while he was in prison, again, wrote a letter to the Ephesian church and wrote very, very clearly in Ephesians, uh, that where, where he's mentioning in 2, 8, and 9 of Ephesians, he says, For by grace you save through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Don't be proud. Don't think you did anything. Remember, it's a miracle. It's a gift. And it's by grace that we receive our salvation. So Paul wrote it very clearly to the Ephesian church, to the Philippine church. He just simply said, hang in there and let your daily life live out your salvation. We live in a world where it's very, very tempting to allow our society to tell us that we're being a, a successful person. A solid faith that holds firm to the temptations of life, is what Paul presented. He challenged them to hold strong, even in a Roman society where temple prostitution existed, where worship of the emperor was expected. And there were many other things that would carry him down a path that would be totally wrong. And yet, Paul said, I know you have the challenge, I know you have the stress, I know you have the pressure, Stay sensitive and aware. You know, I believe that if Paul lived today, he would say to them, read your daily newspaper. Find out what's going on in the world, but always take it with a grain of salt. Not everything in there is going to be 100% accurate. And for sure, some of the values that you're going to come in contact with don't represent what our Father would have for us. Paul loved to use illustrations about sports. I'm, I'm reminded of a sports illustration in the life of Eric Little, a Scottish runner back in 1924 that was in the Olympics, who chose not to run in a race that he had prepared for, for years. But now, he's a very interesting guy because he was an MK. And I have three MKs in my family, three missionary kids. Eric Little was a missionary kid, again, from China. But he chose not to run in a race because it was run on a Sunday. His understanding of Sunday was, that is the day that is holy, to be set aside as a Sabbath. And to run in a race like that would be disrespectful of God. Now, the way it worked out was quite nice because he found another race to run in and did win that race and it was run during the week. But the point is, Eric Little... He grasped his, his identity within Christ to the point that it was not this box is the Christian me and this box is the secular me. This is my Sunday box and this is my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday box. He integrated it. He grasped what Paul was talking about. 
He understood my values, my morals, my lifestyle, how I treat my children, how I treat my parents, how I treat others and talk about others. All reflects how Jesus lives and works in my life. And so he said, I can't compromise and I won't. I I look at his testimony and I often wonder, what would I have done? Are there places in your life you compromise? And I'm asking that question and looking at you, but I'm looking at me too. And I ask myself, are there places I compromise in my life? Are there things I know? It's probably really not the best thing for a Christian to be doing or saying or acting like. And yet, I compromise. Paul says, please, church, church, be aware. People are watching. You don't live in isolation. He says, and by the way, as you're walking in your Christian walk, don't do it with grumbling or complaining. Verse 14. We must work out our salvations as we obey God. Our motivation has to be that of the Holy Spirit guiding us and we must welcome that guidance each and every day. Scripture says, as we continue to read through says, we must shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. I don't know how big your mental picture of God is. I don't know how important your picture of God is. Hopefully, God is never something you can control. Hopefully, you understand that He is the creator of the universe. We all bring our backgrounds to our faith. For some, you come from non-Christian families. For some, you come from Christian For me, I grew up with a mother and father who were both believers. My father was from New York City. Uh, and I remember he used to introduce me to things that really did not match what I was finding in Dallas, Texas. It was a different environment. It, I suppose it would be the difference in living in Edmonton or living in Toronto. But I remember he, we, he used to sing some songs and he eventually got me hooked and I found my favorite song in the entire world. My favorite song in the entire world is called How Great Thou Art. And I'd like for us to go ahead and allow you to be blessed by not hearing me sing. Um, but I'd like for us to look at the words to How Great Thou Art and think about just what it says. And understand those words are the words that made me think about the fact that our Lord has to be the star of our life. It says, O oh Lord my God, I an awesome wonder. Consider all the worlds that you've made. I see the stars and the rolling thunder throughout the universe displayed. He's talking about the power. It challenged me to understand the God that you and I are privileged to worship today is the creator of the universe. We should fear nothing this world would have to offer. Any criticism, laughter that would come our way. Nothing. That's totally unimportant. It's awesome wonder, the power throughout the universe. When through the woods and the forest glades I wander, I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, I hear the brook the feel the gentle breeze. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, 
In other words, willing to sacrifice even His Son for you and for me. If we want to ask about our salvation question, there it is. He cared enough to allow His own Son to suffer and die, knowing He didn't deserve it, but just for you. When I became a Christian, I was sitting in a pew, like many of you. And I remember the preacher saying this kind of thing. And I felt like there was no one else in the room. I didn't care if there was anyone else in the room. All I knew was I was a sinner and I needed to repent and I wanted this God, this miraculous God, to be the Lord of my life. I wanted to accept Christ as my Savior and my Lord. Send Him to die. I scarce can even take it in. I can't even hardly understand it. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come and take me home, what joy will fill my heart. And I shall bow in humble adoration and proclaim how great, my God, how great Thou art. How we can hear a song like that and not cry, I don't know. Because it humbles me so much to the core. Paul was saying to the church that he started, Folks, I want you to have that kind of a heart. If you'll have that kind of a heart, we'll make a difference in this world. I would say to VCBC, if we have that kind of a heart, we will make a difference in this world. In the Scripture, chapter 2, verses 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. And it goes on and it talks about Timothy and it talks about Aphroditus. It talks about these two people. And these are the friends of Paul. I think it's very fascinating that Paul goes and pours his heart into encouraging the church and then goes and talks about people. He goes back and he says, you know, I'm a team man. Timothy's been on my team. He and I have been co-workers together as we've been traveling. And now we're co-workers even sitting in a prison together. So we're sitting here together, but we're not saying, oh, poor us, oh, poor us. He said, very much I want Timothy to come and visit you because his heart is also for you. He also finds joy in knowing you exist as a body of Christians seeking to serve our Lord. He wants to come, but for now, that's not going to happen. And then he says, but Aphrodite, the guy that you sent up here to help me, to give me food, to care for me, to be aware of what's going on, to be able to report back to you, that guy that is out of your church, I'm going to send him back. And I want you to welcome him back and welcome him with joy when he returns home. These friends are important because they are also servants for our Lord. Brothers and sisters, today, we are a team. When you are weak, I am weak. When you are strong, I am strong. Our witness is one that's a united witness. How we present ourselves and how much burden we have for our lost world reflects very strongly on each other on, 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 and to the world. Today I'd like for us to just look at what Paul has said and think about VCBC and think about ourselves. Not as an organization, but as a body of brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father God, we come to You today 
recognizing your care for us and your love for us. Just as we saw Paul sending a letter to friends, we see the miracle of a person that's a pastor with a heart for his people. Father, we thank you that he has that heart. Help the people relate to Paul in a loving and caring way. Help Paul to relate to his people in a loving, caring way. Help them in, as that went back and forth, that he felt the freedom to challenge them, to encourage them, to comfort them, to do the very things that he said Christ had done for them, to remind them that we are one family as we serve. Father, I would ask that VCBC, the brothers and sisters in this room, including myself, that we would have that kind of mutual respect, love, and hunger to see each of us become a greater tool for you, even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand